Well, good morning. I hope all of you are doing well today. Over the last uh, 27 days, I was gone for 18 of them. Um, I traveled a lot, not because I was doing anything super cool myself, because my children have a lot of cool things to do, and I'm their ride. Um, and I was in Texas, and um, it was hot in Texas, and I thought, um, this is as close to where the devil lives as I ever want to be. Um, I, you just sweat. It's just so miserably hot. And I couldn't wait to get back to Jackson, Tennessee, only to find out that the heat index here um, was also um, in a detrimental level to all of us. And I would just like all of you to know that I don't do extremes well. I don't like it to be very cold or very hot. Um, So I'm really enjoying this air conditioner moment today. But while I was in Texas, it was really interesting. I was there with my oldest son. He was playing soccer in Texas. And um, (laughs) it was hot, like I said. And we were just sitting there watching him. I was baking. And the heat index, you know, at certain points was up to 104. And they would give them two water breaks in each half. And I watched them um, dig deep. And I just watched with amazement. Because I, I was barely making it sitting in a chair. And there they were running on a field, just still running after like 80 minutes. They were running. They were digging deep. But it was so funny. At one point, we got back to the hotel, and I went to get a Powerade out of the, free, out of the refrigerator. And my son said, is that for me? I said, no, it's for me. And he said, well, I didn't want to just play the whole game. And I looked at him very clearly, and I said to him, when you're on the field, I'm on the field. When you're on the field, I'm on the field. I may be sitting in a chair, but my heart is beating fast, and I am running every step with you. <laughs> and I said that to him jokingly in a way to let him know, this is my power aid, right? and if there's not another one in there, I guess you can find one somewhere, Right? <laughs> But there was this moment when I said it that I thought about the Lord and about how so many times we're just running and running and running and we're feeling overwhelmed and hot and tired and worn out by life. And we look at God like, hey, where are you at? And today I just felt like that he was reminding me and reminding me in that moment that when I'm on the field, he's on the field. That when I'm running, he's running. That when I'm out there giving everything I have and doing everything I can, that the Lord is right there with me. He's never missed a beat, never missed a step right there with me. This series that we're doing this summer is called Reflections on God's Faithfulness. And um, there are lots of different moments in my life that I could talk about the faithfulness of God. But I wanted to um, dig into just a little bit um, to a theme that we did at youth camp called Nothing Wasted. I want to talk a little bit about one specific moment in my life, but there was a verse that came to me when I was thinking about our summer camp for our kids and and what I wanted them to lean into, and I had this moment of realization, and I was talking to uh, Morgan and Sydney. For those of you who don't know them, they're, you know, off in college and all this kind of stuff, but right before camp, they came, and we sat together, and we began to brainstorm about camp, and we began to think about, you know, what kids needed, what we really needed to know about 
And I said, you know, I, I love to see those moments where kids are, are, are hugging each other and crying and there's all these things happening in a service. But at the same time, I feel like that we're at a season where those things are wonderful, but what kids really need to know is that God is with them every step of the way. That God's not only present during the big church moments, And during the big moments of when the Holy Spirit feels like he's moving, that God's actually with them on the soccer field, on the stage, in their algebra classroom, that every circumstance and situation that they've walked through and gone through in life, that God is with them. And all of those big moments, they're fantastic. But our kids and us, we need to have an assurance and a realization and the ability to see God with us in every single moment and in every step of the way. It's so easy sometimes to acknowledge when God comes through for us. And it's sometimes a little bit harder to know when God's there when it doesn't feel like it. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2, I'm going to read these to you today. may not be on the screen. Isaiah 43, 1 through 2, it says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When, say that, when, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. When. (laughs) When. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it talks about that there's a time and a season for everything. That there's a time to be born and a time to die. That there's a time for sorrow and a time for joy. That there's a time and a season for everything. Everything. The scripture tells us that when we go through the rivers, we will not be swept under. That when we go through the fire, we will not be set ablaze. We are going to go through things. We know that much. The promise is not that we won't. The promise is that we will not be overcome. And that he will be with us every single step of the way. So I have a question for you today, and I want you to begin to just think about where you are in your life, the things that you're going through, the things that you're juggling, the things that you're, you know, all the balls that are up in the air at one time in life. What will you do with where you are? What will you do with where you are today? Has anybody gone through a season of fire? (laughs) You know that there's a difference between wildland fires and wildfires? Wildland fires occur naturally in nature. And they they exist and they happen because they come in and they burn off the dead vegetation and the things that are clogging up the ground. They they come in and they sweep through and they burn those things. And without that healthy fire, the things that are underground can't come through. Eventually, the dead things will begin to clog out the life of the things that need to come up. And so there's a natural wildland fire that will come and burn. And without those, do you know that they actually prevent wildfires that destroy? There are fires in life. And they will come through. And there are seasons of burning. 
seasons where things are burned out of our lives. And they are painful. Sometimes those things that get burned out of our lives are relationships. Things that we thought would always be there. But the reality is, is that we have to have a perspective on how we see where we are right now. Yes, this fire absolutely could destroy you if it's not put into the hands of the God who can use the fire to not let you come ablaze, but to burn the things out of your life that don't need to be there. A fire, a season of burning in the hands of God will bring about new growth and health for our lives. It will not bring destruction. It talks about going and passing through the waters. Anybody ever had a season where it felt like every time you stood up, a new wave hit you? (laughs) Right? Man, sometimes life is busy, and I don't know about you, but I feel like a little kid who swam out just a little too far. Oh, do you remember that? When you were just out there in that pool and having fun, and you take a step and realize that you're not where you can stand anymore? Oh, the panic we feel right there. I remember that panic. I remember being an eight-year-old girl at the hotel pool with all of my family, my mom and her sisters sitting on the side of the pool talking, and me stepping just too far and going, and not knowing how to get back up. And then I remember my Uncle Dan swooping in and picking me up and setting me in the shallow end again. Boy, there's some times in life where it feels like we've stepped out too far. Like, this is too deep. I am in too deep. I am being bombarded by the waves and I am being overwhelmed. But the thing about water is, is that it absolutely can come through and overwhelm you. We can be overwhelmed by the water. But do you know also that without the rivers, they nourish the land that we're on. They shape the land around us. They carve through our existence and create paths for new life. And new life only exists where there's water. So yes, the water comes and there are seasons of being overwhelmed and in too deep. But in the hands of God, he says we will pass through the waters. So a season of flooding, a season of being overwhelmed in the hands of God will shape you and mold you and nourish you. It will not overwhelm you. What will you do with where you are? What will God do with where you are? And then there's deserts. I told y'all I don't like to be hot. I've never thought going to a desert would be fun. But we've all been there, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through the vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has taken, has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. You've lacked nothing. I've walked through some desert seasons with God. Sometimes where it felt like, I was just standing there, my tongue sticking to the roof of my mouth, parched, feeling so distant and far from God that I questioned whether he existed. Standing in a church service while other people had their hands raised, 
and felt the presence of God. And I stood there and thought, am I all alone? Am I in a snow globe desert? A self-contained moment where I don't feel God? And I can look back on those moments now, and I'm sure I'll go through them again because that's the way life works. And I can see that even in the desert, I never lacked anything. We're going to go through seasons of desert. But can we see that we've lacked nothing? I can look back on those moments when I, I felt so far from God, and I remember and see how God continued to provide for me even when I was angry with him. Some of you who are parents will understand this. Has your kid ever been mad at you, like not talking to you, but you still have to feed them? Like they don't even want to look at you. They're so mad at you. Right? But there you go, putting food on their plate, setting it in front of them, where they will pretend as though they are not hungry, will never be hungry again. But they're going to eat it. Right? Oh, I'm so thankful to a God who keeps putting out plates of food for me even when I'm angry. Even when I'm mad and I feel like he doesn't exist, he just keeps feeding me and caring for me. And I lack nothing. Even when I don't want to see him. So here's where I share a little story for you guys about how God cared for me in a desert. Four years ago, um, I had just gotten home on a Friday night from youth camp. I had driven um, 10 hours. Um, My ankles were the size of my knees. I was worn out. (laughs) Tina and I had each driven a van, (laughs) and um, we were worn out. And I got home, and it had been a rough year. We had lost a lot of people. I had taken my kids to camp. I prayed that God would do something, but I wasn't real happy with him. And I can say this honestly in front of you, that there was a period of time where what God had called me to do was to help pastor a church, to stand beside my pastor and to help lead people. And I was really mad at him. Because why were we experiencing so much loss? I didn't want the phone to ring one more time. We were in a season where that Haley couldn't call me on the phone without texting first. There were several of us who had to text first. I felt like I had to text her and be like, hey, everything's good. Can you give me a call when you get a chance? Because I was so afraid of what would come on the other end of that phone call. And I got home from camp, and things had gone well, and the kids had had a great time, and I was worn out. And all I wanted was some Tulum and my couch. (laughs) And my husband was home, and he had been working um, at the Miss Tennessee pageant, as he does every summer, working on the set crew, working lights and sound. And he came out, and he was trying to help me carry my suitcase in the house, and I could tell he just wasn't feeling good. And he said, I think I pulled my back at work when we were um, working on the stage. I think I I pulled it. My back is killing me. And um, so we went in, and we got food, and we were trying to eat, and he was just miserable, uncomfortable. And the next morning, he woke up, and he just looked pale, 
And um, so we went to the doctor, and they told him that um, they thought he had a kidney stone. So they gave him medicine for the kidney stone. We went back home, and we took medicine for three days, and he wasn't any better. Um, The only time my husband's ever been to a hospital was when I was having children, (laughs) never in his whole life. And he said, I think I need to go to the ER. And we went and we walked in and just checked in. And he walked in on his own and they started to take his vitals and they freaked out and made him lay down and took him back to the back because they said that he was um, tachycardic and things were looking like he was septic and they didn't know why, but he was in pretty dangerous shape. And we didn't have any idea what was going on. They took us back to the back. They began to do CT scans. They said they thought he had a bowel blockage in his bowels, bowel obstruction. They put this tube down his nose, and they begin to remove things out. We sat there for forever and ever and ever, and they finally put us in a room. And the consensus still was that he had a bowel blockage. And my husband was going from being pale to looking bloated and and yellow, and he wasn't focusing, and he couldn't remember things from one minute to the next. He wasn't aware of anything that was going on, and he was miserable and in so much discomfort and pain that he couldn't really talk or communicate And he had no idea what was going on. We sat there for four days with them just saying, we still think that's what it is. And they said, we think in a few days we're going to go in, we're going to do surgery on him to remove this bowel obstruction. We're thinking we're probably going to have to remove a portion of his bowel. And it's going to be a bowel resection. It's going to be a colostomy bag. And it's going to be a long process and a long recovery. We're going to wait a few more days. He's young. We want to see if this is going to help. And the whole time I'm thinking, why are we waiting? And a very dear friend of mine who was a doctor in the hospital, he came and he said, are you ready for them just to get this fixed? And I said, I'm ready. And my husband is not well. And I don't want to wait any longer. And he advocated for us. He went to the surgeon and he said, I know this family. I know this man. Let's just go ahead and do this. Let's not put it off any longer. He's ready. And so the surgeon said, okay, we're going to do the surgery tomorrow morning. They told me to expect a six-hour surgery. They wheeled Jeremy back to the surgery. I was expecting to get a call three hours in to let us know how things were going. But an hour in, I get a phone call in the room, which made me nervous. Why were they calling so quickly? And they said that as soon as they pierced his stomach, as soon as they put the first little camera into his stomach. The smell filled the room where they were, and they knew that there was infection all inside his abdomen. And what they found was that his appendix had ruptured seven days earlier. And the appendix had ruptured, and all of the infection had burst out into his insides, which should have killed him within a matter of days, if if even days. But instead, what his body had done was it had taken all of the infection and it had created an abscess. It had closed the infection off into its little self. And that little ball of infection, all closed off, had pushed up against his bowels and it had shut them down. And it had just sat there. This little ball of infection that should have killed him days earlier, should have made him completely septic, just sat there. And so they realized what it was. They cleaned him out. They literally said, we washed out his insides. They stitched him up and they brought him back to the room. My friend had been one of the surge techs and she shaved his beard crazy. So she had left big chops of his beard that were sticking out like this. And he was loopy from the anesthesia. 
And he came in, and I said, well, you're still alive. And he said, well, that's good. I said, it was just your appendix. And he said, praise God. And it was the first coherent words he had said in seven days. I still wasn't done being mad at God. But a day later, my friend Rodney came to see me in the hospital. A man who I had walked through the hardest thing I'd ever walked through in my life with. And he sat there looking at my husband and he said, well, I'm glad God saved him. I don't know that we could have handled any more. And four years later, I realized that I was in the desert and the Lord put a plate of food in front of me and he saved my husband. And why did he save my husband over that precious 14-year-old boy? I'll never know. But it was a plate of food in the desert. It was a meal slipped to all of us that walked through that life in that moment where God reminded us, you lack nothing. You don't have everything that you wanted. And not everything has gone the way you expected it to go. But you lack nothing. I have been your pillar of fire who led you through. And I have continued to feed you and care for you. It's been four years since that moment. (laughs) In those days... My husband lost 35 pounds in nine days. He had some bad nutrition for a little while. I'm not a medical person, so I didn't completely understand how close my husband was to death. Until that very same doctor who, um, and his wife who had helped us to get surgery looked me in the eye and told me, People don't live seven days with a ruptured appendix. People don't usually live one to two. And so I realized that there in that moment in the desert that the Lord had stuck his hand into my husband's abdomen and he had scooped that infection and he had sealed it off and he had pushed it to a place that would get the attention of doctors before it took over his body. And he had done a miraculous work that did not make any sense and he had provided in ways that I could not even understand. And he had cared for us when I didn't even know if I really still thought he existed. I was in a desert, in a dry place, with my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth, thinking I could not bring myself to encourage one more person or say to one more person, it's going to be okay. Because I wanted to go outside in my front yard and point my finger up there and say, I don't like you. I don't believe that you exist. Why would you let this happen? Why are we alone? Why do we feel lost right now? Why are we walking through the fire and the river and the desert all at one time? And he said, here's some food. You lack nothing. You lack nothing. In Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that God causes everything 
fires, rivers, deserts, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Philippians 4, 12 through 13, these are verses you know. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, fires and rivers, whether living in plenty, closeness with God, or in want far from him. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. When you see every season and situation and gifting and challenge and change as something God can use, then nothing is wasted. It doesn't undo what happens to you. It changes the power that what has happened to you has. We cannot undo the things we do not understand. We cannot undo the challenges that we faced or the mistakes that we've made or the things that have happened. We cannot undo them, but in the hands of the God, creator God who created the heavens and the earth, in the hand of a loving and true God, the things that we don't understand have their power and their purpose shifted. For what was meant to destroy us now burns off the dead things and brings forth new life. The things that were meant to overwhelm us now shape us and mold us the things that were meant to deprive us and dehydrate us and separate us from God now bring us to a place in an awareness of his goodness and his faithfulness and his care in the hands of God nothing is wasted it is the biggest reflection on the faithfulness of God that I have when I look back over my life I can think of all kinds of moments and testimonies where God has provided and where he has come through. But what it comes down to is nothing is wasted in the hands of God. If we continue to hold our grief and our hurt, our successes, our things, and a tight fist of mind like a toddler who doesn't want to turn loose the peanut butter and jelly sandwich that he has, then these things turn to mush rather than something that God can do something with. Oh, if I hold my hurt in my hand and I say, no, this is mine, and I hold it tight, then I am not allowing it to go into the hands of the God who takes nothing and makes something. In John chapter 6, Jesus took a stinky fish and some crusty bread and he fed 5,000 plus people. You can't tell me. We hear that story and we see little pictures of little fish, right? Y'all, they had been walking for a long time and there was no igloos. That fish did not smell good. There's no way it did. He took stinky rotten fish in the bucket of a six-year-old child and crusty bread, and he fed 5,000 people plus. And then in chapter 6, verse 12, he says this. Let nothing be wasted. Go around and collect all that remains. Let nothing be wasted. You see, when I give God... Everything, all of it. When I put my seasons and my circumstances into his hands, not only does he provide for me 
He provides for those around me. And he has enough left over to continue to sustain me, even when it feels difficult. Nothing is wasted. I want to tell you, Jesus was talking about breadcrumbs, but he was talking about so much more. Because later in that chapter, chapter 6, verses down in verses 30 through 35, he begins to tell them that he is the bread of life. And that when you eat of him, you will never be hungry again. And so what he was teaching us in this moment of feeding 5,000 plus people with some fish and crusty bread was not just that he could feed your physical body, but that when you give things to him, nothing is wasted. There is always enough of Jesus to take care of you. And not only is there enough to take care of you, there is an abundance of him that never runs out, always provides, always takes care. There is nothing wasted when it's given to the hands of the God who creates. No circumstance, no moment, no situation is wasted. So as we close today, I have sat parched in a desert. And I have experienced fires that nearly burned me and my faith beyond recognition. And I have been overwhelmed by the onslaught of rushing waves in my life. But I have seen miracles and been fed in that same desert. And I came out of fires new and changed. And I have stepped out of the water and onto a shore that is nourished and is a new land for me. What will you do? What will I do with where we are? For me, I will give my person, my place to God, and I will believe that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Last summer, I took a break. I knew I had to. I had reached that moment where there was a good chance I was going to start to say the things that were going through my head and not be able to keep them in my mouth. I felt exhausted. I felt like I was burned and drowned and thirsty all at the same time. It had been a period of years that had been difficult for a lot of people and for a lot of reasons, and I'm not the only one who can say that. But I knew I was at a spot with God where we needed to have some conversations. And I felt like God just reminded me of all the meals that he had given me when I was still mad at him. That he had reminded me how he had fed me and cared for me. How he had plopped manna in my path for me to collect. How he had continued to show up time and time again when I didn't even think he was there. It was in that moment, like my favorite story of Elijah, where I sat in a cave and under a tree, and I gave the Lord my litany of things that I was unhappy about and unsatisfied about and unsure of. And he looked at me and he said, could you just lay down and take a nap? And then when I awoke, there was bread there. And then I laid down and took another nap. And when I woke up, there was bread there. 
And then like Elijah, I began to say, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear you speak to me because I'm, I'm fed and I'm rested now and I'm ready for what you have for me. So will you begin to speak to me, God? And he said, fine, stand at the mouth of this cave. And a storm came through and I was like, God, I didn't hear you in that storm. And then an earthquake came and I was like, God, I didn't hear you in that earthquake and that big shaking and that excitement and that goosebump moment. I didn't feel you, God. I didn't hear you. And then standing there at the mouth of the cave, which for me was my front porch in the early morning, a breeze blew by and the voice of the Lord said, I'm right here. Oh, let me tell you something, church. We better stop seeking the goosebumps of God and start listening for the still small voice that comes in the wind. Because we cannot survive on a steak dinner that comes down and makes us feel all the things. We need the loving, tender, gentle voice of God. And we have got to train ourselves to hear it and see it and recognize the bread in front of us, the bread of life, the nourishing goodness of God that feeds us and nurtures us and cares for us in the midst of the fire and in the midst of the flood and in the midst of the desert. We've got to stop and be still and hear the voice of God that says with me nothing is wasted nothing so I don't know today as you begin to look back on your life and reflect on what God has done for a moment don't make a list in your head of all the miracles he did stop for a moment and think about that season where you thought you were drowning and you didn't. Where you thought you were parched and you weren't. Where you thought you were starving, but you were fed. Oh, he does miracles. Oh, he still does big miracles. But don't underestimate the miracle of being daily fed by a God who wastes nothing. He works together all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So today, as we close out, James is getting ready to come and and close us out and give us all of the announcements and all of those fun things. But before we do that today, can I just ask you to bow your heads? Take a moment and just look around your spirit. See where you are. You know, there are some good seasons. Sometimes where we really are walking under the shadow of the wings of the Lord. Where we are lying beside in those green pastures. And there are seasons of closeness with God and peace with him. And those moments are wonderful. And if you are in a moment today where you are feeling nourished and close to God, see that moment and be thankful. Thankful to God for a moment of peace in your life. But today, as you look around your spirit, if you begin to sense and acknowledge that you're in a desert and you're feeling far from God, Know that he has bread for you. 
If today you are walking through some fires and some challenges and some overwhelming things that feel like you are being scorched, know that the Lord says you will walk through this time, but he wants you to know today you will not be set ablaze. You will not be burned. If you're walking through a season of life right now where it feels like the waves are overwhelming and there's an onslaught of always something, one thing after the other, life just keeps on pounding you. Know that the Lord says you will pass through the rivers and he will be with you. And there is land on the other side for you. God, I pray today that as we take a moment to reflect on your faithfulness and your goodness to us, that today, Lord, you would draw to our mind not only the miracles and the amazing things that you have done, but today, God, you would draw to mind all of the times and all of the ways that you have taken nothing. You have taken fire and famine, and you have taken flood, and you have taken desert, and you have turned it into something that is for our good. God, help us to see today how much you care for us. Not only, God, are you faithful to save, but you are faithful to care. And you're working all things together for the good of those who love you. In Jesus' name, amen.